0: It can be hard to know what our kids are really thinking and feeling, but when we encourage kids to engage with us in conversation, and when we lean in and actively listen, we inevitably learn something that helps us do better by them. Welcome to Dear Highlights, the podcast inspired by letters and emails from kids who write to highlights, seeking a listening ear and a little guidance as they wind their way through childhood. A short, sweet season, but also a period of heavy lifting for kids. I'm Christine french Cully, editor Editor-in-Chief of Highlights and your podcast host. I'm joined by Hilary Bates, our podcast producer and thoughtful mom of two. We're here to amplify the voices of children and to explore with expert guests many of the issues that kids and families wrestle with regularly. We're glad you've joined us. Dear Highlights, my mom highlights. and dad have dear been separated for about a month. Hello listeners. Today we're talking about the importance of listening to kids, which is actually the common thread that runs through all of our podcast episodes, but we're hitting the note a little more heavily with this episode. In the last year, I've been privileged to do a lot of talking about the subject of connecting with kids and listening to kids uh, with the publication of the book Dear Highlights last fall. And I've discovered that there's a lot of interest on the part of adults in hearing how we think about the questions kids ask us and how we formulate our replies in a way that helps kids feel heard and validated. So we thought we'd talk about that today. And I'm joined by our podcast producer, Hillary Bates, and associate editor at Highlights, Allison Kane, who's been with the company uh, about eight years and who is one of the uh, carefully selected, specially trained editors who helps us answer children's mail. So, welcome, Allison, and welcome back, Hillary.
1: Thank you. Happy to be here. This is really a
2: fun one. Uh, I have worked at Highlights over the years for quite some time, but only very recently have I gotten to be included in this job of responding to kids' mail. And what some people might be surprised to learn is that there's actually a training that Highlights conducts to try to help the folks that are entrusted with this job to make sure that we're answering kids in a, in a consistent way and that is in the voice of Highlights and the way that we want to be listening to and addressing kids. Um, I don't know, uh, Chris How long ago did that training start? Um, Or was it something more like long ago that people just more shared as oral tradition with each other?
0: Well, you know, it goes way back to the beginning. Uh, The founders themselves in 1946 answered every letter that they received from children. And I think the staff was small and probably, you know, at some point there became so many that they couldn't answer them all themselves. So they picked a few editors to help them with the task. And, and because there weren't that many of them and they were in a small office, I think the editors who helped answer mail was almost osmosis. <laughs> you know, they learned from watching and listening to the founders. Uh, of course, over time, as the amount of mail we received grew in volume and uh, it required more help, uh, more people to help answer all the mail, somewhere along the line, more formal training was established and I've been in Highlights a long time, and by the time I got there, it was there was a pretty rigorous, uh, uh, structured training program set up, which we look at and you know adjust. But uh, it's been really helpful because we don't want editors to answer the letters, um, you know, uh, only from the context of their own experience or their own ideals or philosophies. But they really are answering these letters on behalf of Highlights, and the job is to uh, talk to children and uh, in a way that Highlights would would talk to them if Highlights were a talking entity, if you will.
2: (laughs) The center of that training is those values that Highlights wants to impart to kids. And there's really practical components of it too that are helpful. Like one of the first things I learned is we need to, in our response, include what the core of a child's initial question was. And that can be because a kid can send a letter to us, write it, put it in the mailbox, and immediately forget what they wrote us. So (laughs) it helps to remind them right away what they wrote and asked before we answer. But I think it does something else really beautiful, too, that can happen in conversations with kids, which is that by rephrasing what they asked us, we are confirming that we listened
1: and we understand.
0: Exactly. And that's so important that kids feel heard.
1: I remember that as a huge part of my training too. That's what was always marked up when I had my backup readers reading it. It was like, don't forget (laughs) to restate the question.
2: What else do you remember, Allison, from that training? And, uh, you know, what did you, did you come away from it feeling like you were ready to go or was it nerve wracking at first?
1: I was nervous. I felt like I had a huge responsibility to answer these letters as thoroughly as I could. But what brought me a lot of comfort, I think, when I did the training with our um, reader mail coordinator, she insisted that we don't have to have all the answers. We just have to direct kids to the right place to get the help that they need or get the answers that they need. Um, which is so helpful because I was like, am I helping these kids? Are they getting what they want to hear? Or am I, you know, thoroughly answering? But, um, most of what we do is give resources. So that helps a lot. But I also remember reading through so many past responses before I even started. We have our whole archive of them. So when I had a spare moment, I would just read through lots and lots of letters to try to get the voice and, and, um how we've answered these types of questions before and have that all in my brain so that I could do it justice.
2: It really helps to read those letters from the past and to talk to the other people that are answering letters. And I know when I was starting, sometimes I just wanted to get a second opinion. I also really like what you said about, we don't have to have the answers. And in fact, part of what we learn to do in our replies is to help children give them tools to solve their own problems. So a lot of times we're offering them options of things they might do to come to their own conclusions for the question. Um, And we also really like to encourage them to look for other adults in their lives who are trusted adults, who are caring adults, who might also be able to help them with these problems. Because after all, we are far away and not in their lives in a magazine, and it might be really impactful to hear from us, but we know that sometimes kids need more immediate help, the help of their parents or teachers or other folks who love them.
0: I would say those are two things we always try to do, give kids a variety of ways they might approach their issue uh, or their concern. And also, we we n- almost never fail to urge them to find a caring adult in the circle of people they trust and know. Because we just don't have enough context, as you say, Hillary, in any given letter to really feel comfortable that we're giving them all the help they need or even the right help that they need. And there's sort of an art and a science to answering a kid's letter. Um, and the art is you can't read too much into what they're saying. Uh, it's tempting sometimes to read between the lines and, and come to a conclusion, but we really don't know. Uh, so it's it's a tricky thing. And, and, you know, we really do hope that they will find a trusted adult. And we often define what a trusted adult is for kids. It might not be a parent. Sometimes it's hard for kids to talk to a parent, especially if the parent, it plays a role in the concern that the child's writing to us about. So it might be, you know, a a favorite aunt or uncle, or it might be a a teacher or a school nurse or a coach or, you know, maybe a a parent of a friend. We try to give them a lot of options.
2: Chris, you're so experienced in writing these letters, certainly have done it longer than um, I have, and even than Allison has as well. Over the years, are there certain letters that have stuck with you and what? Why is it? What's different about those letters?
0: Well, there are a lot of letters that have um, stayed with me that I think about often. Um, there's one from a from a girl who's just kind of on the cusp of adolescence, and she I think this letter is in the book. Well, I know it is in the book. Um, she talks about trying to live by a certain code of of behavior with her mother. And when she comes home from school, she tells herself she's not. When her mother asks her, "How's your day?" she's going to say, "Fine." She's going to answer with one word, and you know, when her mother, she's going to go into her room and close her door and and stay by herself. And but she's frustrated because she can't keep up this code. <laughs> she can't live by all these rules she's made for herself. And it really illustrates um, just how challenging that time of childhood is when it when. Um, You know, a child really wants to be close and wants to connect with their parent, but also feels the tug, you know, needs to pull away. And the mother is valiantly trying, you can tell from the letter, to keep that line of communication open. Uh, And that letter really touched me because it's sort of hard sometimes to tell what's normal uh, growth and development and what is a little bit problematic or what a parent might be, should be concerned about. And it was just a very poignant letter, and I was glad we had the chance to say to her, your mother loves you, and, you know, maybe you need to rethink this little code of behavior that you're trying to develop. Um, It's not really helping you. Another letter I I really remember is a child wrote and said that um, his mother was on the phone all the time, and he never really had a good time to um, talk to her. He wanted more of her attention, more of her time. And every time he wanted to talk to her about something important, she was on the phone. What should he do? So we wrote him back and gave him some tips. And one day my office phone um, rang and I picked it up and it was a mother who was thanking me for answering her son's letter. And my goodness, she never um, imagined that we would actually send him back a, a personal reply. And she had no idea that he thought that she talked too much on the phone. And she went on and on and on and on, <laughs> which I just thought was kind of charming and kind of ironic. And my heart went out to the letter writer because clearly it was gonna take mom a little while to process <laughs> the advice <laughs> we've given her son.
2: How about you, Allison? Do you have a letter that you've answered that sort of has stuck with you and why is that?
1: Yes, I have many, but one in particular um, that I always remember and gives me a smile is, I remember it was from a girl, I think she was about eight, and she was from Florida. And the letter said that she loves lizards. And she would go outside in her yard and bring the lizards inside and dress them up in Barbie clothes. And she was writing to us because her mom told her that she couldn't do that anymore. But her question was just, I'm not going to listen to my mom. So how do I build a proper trap to catch more lizards? (laughs) And that was her question to us. And I love this one for two reasons. One, because it's the kind of letter that helps me do my work on the magazine. It brings you right back to childhood and reminds you how just curious and awesome kids can be and gets you in that mindset. But I also love that letter because um, our answer was... It ended up being really thoughtful, and I hope that she got something out of it because we told her, you know, maybe don't bring the lizards inside, but um, I try to imagine how that lizard feels getting plucked out of its environment and brought inside, you know, maybe – think about what you're doing to an animal and how they're feeling. But also we didn't want to discourage her entirely because it's so cool that she loves lizards and um, wants to be around them, isn't afraid of them and all of those things. So we also encouraged her to um, go outside and observe the lizard, take notes, look at its environment and um, learn things about it. And we taught her the word herpetology so that she knew that that's uh, something she could do later in life if she really, really continues her love for lizards. Um, So it took a long time to write an answer to that funny question that made me smile so much.
2: You know, for me, I think even in the short time I've been doing it, I've developed a little bit of a specialty, which is that um, I get the rare letters that we get from adults. (laughs) So sometimes Mm. we have kids who were readers Um, and they just really remember us as a source of good advice and maybe write us when they think that they're too old. Or occasionally we get letters from someone whose kid or a kid they care about has the magazine. Um, and I have to say, I mean, I just think I have a particular affinity for these sometimes because I think all the things we believe about kids, like we don't really outgrow much of it. We all still need people to listen to us, to feel heard, to give us positive options, to get in control of our own decisions. And I think the other thing it really connects with for me is, I don't know if this is true for you guys, but when I write these letters and the way that we've been trained to do it and approach it, I feel like it helps me approach my own problems in life (laughs) and stay grounded in the kind of like optimism and kindness that I want to approach my life with.
1: There have been so many times where I start a letter and then realize, am I writing to myself? (laughs) Should I be taking this advice? And it's often true.
2: Yep. Well, we thought it would be fun to read some real letters that we have gotten from kids, and then talk about how we might really talk with each other about how we would construct a reply. So I am going to start with one that is a little bit tricky to get. Uh, Dear Highlights, I am 10. I need help. All my friends at school are saying Santa is not real or they doubt Santa, but I still want to believe in Santa. Help. And there are two exclamation points and a sad face underneath the exclamation points, which sometimes when we get real letters, uh, I just love the emotion that comes across from the page. So, Chris. What do you What do you decide first when you're reading a letter? What are you listening for?
0: Well, it's helpful when you get a letter and there's an illustration like that, or it's a handwritten letter, because that gives you some clues about the age of the child. We don't always have that, and we almost never have that with email, although sometimes they'll use emoticons and you get a little bit of a feel for it. So it's helpful to know that, because we have kids who write to us and they range in age from five or six to 12 or 13. Um, obviously this is a younger child. So you listen, um, for, to try to figure out really what, what the crux of the problem is. And, um, here I suspect she's right on that cusp where she's (laughs) starting to not believe in Santa Claus anymore. And, um, I think the trick here would be to, to say something that gives her permission to continue to think about it without bursting her bubble and telling her, yeah, you're right, there is no Santa Claus uh, because it might be right for her to continue to believe for a little while longer.
2: Yeah, I think to really hear what a kid is asking is sometimes the hardest part. And definitely what you what is a distraction in this letter is whether or not Santa exists, right? which really she is not asking us to address. She's really talking about the fact there's two things at play here. There's friendship, because it's how she's interacting with friends that believe something differently. And then there's her own desire to get to stay in a belief that she has and asking if that is an okay thing to decide for herself or if she needs to let her social group participate in deciding for her uh, what she should believe. And that is the question that Highlights started their response with um, to this kid was really about that every person has a right to his or her beliefs. And it's okay if your beliefs are different from another person's.
1: Yeah, I think the first reaction to a letter like this, for me, is anger at her friends. Like, no, just keep believing what you believe. They don't know what they're talking about. Keep that Christmas spirit alive. But that that response wouldn't really be helpful in this scenario because it's not really what she's asking. You're right. It's more about peer pressure to change your beliefs and um, all those kinds of tougher things. Allison, I love what
2: you said because I feel like a bias that some of us discuss with each other is that it's hard when you get these letters to not immediately be on the side of the, the person who wrote you <laughs> in any kind of conflict. You're like, I'm already team person who wrote us a letter. And yep. sometimes uh, you have to take a moment and pause and think back, especially when they're asking about friendship issues or other things about to really look at all the things that are at play and what can help them. Because um, yeah, you think... Why are your friends telling you that there's no Santa? They don't need to be telling you that?
1: Yeah, yeah. It's our reaction to want to protect this girl. (laughs) Um, Okay, so let's talk about another one.
2: Okay, so this next letter is uh, a more difficult letter, I think, to get and to hear. Dear Highlights... I've always had trouble with my self-esteem and looks, although people frequently say I'm pretty and smart. Though inside, I feel rotten to the core. It feels as if I don't deserve the life I am living. I have a wonderful, loving family, a very nice house to live in, and almost everything I could ever want. Although my mom always says I'm very special, I don't feel like it at all. Actually, I kind of feel like a puppet, meaning I never form Opinions and just repeat what others say. I know inside that I'm not as smart or clever as other people claim. Please give me tips on dealing with these feelings. Ugh, I mean, this is it's hard. It's hard to hear a kid feeling that kind of deep sadness about who they are.
0: Yeah, and I think one thing we would do is um early on in the letter is express some empathy and help her understand that she's not the only one who's ever felt this way, that these feelings are actually pretty um, commonly felt by kids her age and even by older uh, people. And sometimes we even say, speak from our own experience when we answer a letter and say, I remember feeling that way when I was your age. Or sometimes we, depending on what the question is, we might feel that way today as adults. I think when kids understand that they're not alone and this is not a problem unique to them, uh, that can go a long way in, in helping them feel better. So we probably start with making sure she knows we heard her, her feeling And uh, expressing some empathy and trying to normalize those feelings for her.
1: Yeah. I don't know if this is one that made it into the magazine, but I hope it is. And I know we've published similar letters in the magazine because it's the kind of thing where kids reading it might get just as much out of knowing that someone else was feeling this way as out of our answer. And in this case, this girl is describing how she appears to have it all and still has issues with confidence. And I think other kids knowing that people they feel envious of are having the same issues with confidence is so helpful.
2: Yeah. I think that part about um, letting readers know that we get other letters that are like theirs is such a huge part of our response. And the second part is to try to give them tools to help them express uh, their own feelings. In this case, um, we did suggest something we often suggested, which is keeping a journal. Um, we might also suggest that uh, other kids who are having big emotions might try drawing or other creative outlets to try to express how they feel.
1: Yeah, this is one of the ones where I would probably end up writing to myself. You know what I mean? We ha- We still have issues with confidence all the time. And just writing that down for kids, I think, is helpful. And um, it's the kind of thing where I'd probably suggest that this girl start a journal and then remember to start journaling myself.
2: Um, We also, particularly on topics like this, which are so common for kids, I think when you're out of childhood, you can forget that this sort of sense of identity is part of what we call the heavy lifting of childhood determining who you are and who you are in social groups and um, your value is such a big part of growing up. And we also want to encourage kids to, yes, we want to take care of that feeling and we want them to feel empowered to think bigger than themselves. And I really love part of the conclusion of the response to this one, which was to remind her that when she gets too stuck in her head, it helps to mix things up and do other things she enjoys and do things for other people, Um, which is also, Allison, I think, uh, something I would love to hear every day in a letter to myself. Yeah. Mm
1: -hmm.
0: The other thing we often say in letters like this, uh, what we need to remember that these conversations are not one and done. Uh, We usually tell children if they they feel like they want to write to us again, they certainly can. And of course, we always urge them to find somebody to talk to. You know, this is an ongoing conversation she's had in her head with herself for a long time. So it would be naive to think one letter will solve a problem. So we always want to leave the door open for more communication, more connecting.
1: Yeah, I think we tell her, you know, everybody has these feelings, but here's how to not let them overwhelm you. So it's not bad that you're having these feelings. You don't need to stop doing that. You just need to figure out how to let it out.
2: Let's transition to one that is uh, a little bit lighter. So we also get plenty of questions for kids that are just the kinds of things that kids' curious minds are thinking about. Um, So Veronica wrote us and said, um, we had a play a few months ago at school. One of the songs was Baby Beluga. For a long time, I could not get it out of my head.
0: Could you help me get it out of my head? This is one of my favorite all-time <laughs> letters because I have had that earworm myself for many years. This song was popular when my kids were young, and uh, it is oh, yeah. definitely an earworm. I loved it. And, you know, I, I love this letter, too, because it's an example of something, a concern a child has that may seem trivial to us as adults. Or, you know, we might read that letter and think, oh, how cute or how charming or how funny. Kids say the darndest things. And we really try to resist the, uh that framing any letter that way because we know in the moment that that problem which will resolve itself eventually, but we know it looms large in the mind of the child at that time. So we we offer her a serious response, and I lo- and I love the way we replied to that one.
2: Yeah, and if any of our listeners need some tips, um, some of the suggestions involved the surefire way to get a song out of your head, which is to put another song in it.
0: Yeah. And apologies to all our listeners who now have baby beluga in their head.
1: <laughs> I don't know it. Know That's I why I stumbled oh, it's, over it's it. A, it's Is someone a Raffi song. It for me? Yeah, we had we had the Raffi tapes we listened to in the car, and I remember it well. It it's definitely one that comes up every now and then out of nowhere. Well, <laughs> I'm scared to hear it if it's going to get stuck.
2: But at least I have some advice <laughs> to help me out. So the last letter that I wanted to share, we're actually going to read the response that that we sent. The last letter that we're going to talk about, I think, uh, is a really good example of how sometimes the shortest letters that kids send can be the most difficult to answer because kids are great at getting straight to the heart of the matter of being alive. This letter was from Ariel who wrote us in 2019 and said, Dear Highlights, I really get disturbed by the awful things that happen in the political and physical world. How can I make the world better without going off to war or running for president?
1: No biggie. (laughs) (laughs) No biggie.
0: (laughs) Oof. How do you answer this in a way that encourages um, interest in current events and uh, civic engagement? and applauds the the child's um, ability to, or willingness to think through these big global issues and also reassure, 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 and leave them with hope.
2: (laughs) So we're going to conclude this episode by reading the response that Highlights sent to Ariel. Dear Ariel, we think your attitude is wonderful. We wish everyone were willing to use their feelings of frustration as motivation to make things better. The world needs more people like you. It might be helpful to start by making a list of the things on your mind. Writing things down can help us prioritize our thoughts, make worries feel less overwhelming and more manageable, and help us map out a course of action. Once you've made a list, we can study the items one by one and think about what you'd like to focus on and how you might help. If pollution makes you sad, you could help out at local community cleanups with your parents' permission or reduce the use of plastics in your life. If you're upset by people who act unkindly, you could start your own kindness campaign by saying at least 10 kind things per day, especially to kids who seem to need it. Or if you'd like to make changes at school, perhaps it's serving in a leadership role by running for student council or class president. You can inspire others to get involved too. One person can start a ripple effect of positive change. There is a famous quote attributed to Margaret Mead, which you might find inspiring. Never doubt that a small group of thoughtful, committed citizens can change the world. Indeed, it's the only thing that ever has. When you feel sad and overwhelmed by what's going on in the world, it's important to take care of yourself and to reach out to those who love and care about you. When we are healthy and happy ourselves, we are best able to do the work of helping make the world
0: a better place. That's a beautiful response.
2: Well, I think it was a good one to close with because I think that reply is the letter to ourselves that we often need every day too.
1: Definitely. It's so easy to watch the issues on the news and just worry and do nothing because you're too busy worrying and everything feels too big, but we've... We've broken it down into smaller, tangible things. And it's good to remember that you you can do something, you know, even if you can't solve everything all at once, you can always do something.
0: Yeah. And the letter writer, uh, we hope, felt heard, felt validated, um, has several ideas of ways they might approach their their concern, and um, was left feeling hopeful and hopefully glad that they wrote to us. It's right. Answering letters from kids is one of my favorite things that we do here at Highlights. I mean, we often talk about um, serving fun with a purpose and we do that t- t- for millions of kids and families every month with our magazines. But, you know, we do it kid by kid, one at a time, too, with this with this practice that um, I think is so important. um uh, it's a, I call it a win-win-win. It's a win for the kids who get a great response with great suggestions and, and good advice. It's a win for the parents who often don't think we're going to answer their child's letter, who may be surprised their child has even written to us, and they might pick up a helpful parenting tip in our reply or just better understand their child, um, knowing that their child has written to us about that concern. And it's a win for us at Highlights because it beautifully informs our work. It really helps us keep our finger on the pulse of kids and makes us more empathetic and better listeners uh, and just better gives us a deeper, richer understanding of what it's like to be a child. So I really love that we do this.
1: Me too. It's my favorite thing too. Me too. Best part of the job. (laughs)
0: You can learn more about kids' hopes and dreams and their worries and fears from the book Dear Highlights, What Adults Can Learn from 75 Years of Letters and Conversations with Kids, available on highlights.com or wherever you buy your books. If you enjoyed this podcast, I hope you'll subscribe and share the link with your friends. Special thanks to the producer of this podcast, Hillary Bates, and also to our audio engineer, Ted Weckbacher.